Good evening, y'all. How are you doing? Good. Welcome. It's good to see you. Yay. Merry Christmas. Happy Holy Days. Happy Holidays. All the things. Really good to see you all. All right. Well, we are continuing a little bit in our contemplative and fun and studious process of looking at the Jesus story and looking at the story that we read in the Bible, but hopefully giving you all some new context for all of that. So um, last week we read in Luke the beginning of the story of the birth of Jesus, and it started with an old man and an old woman. We talked about Zachariah and Elizabeth. And as we were going through that process, as we were reading through their story, we stopped right in the middle of it and said, scene break, we'll get to that next week. And that's where we are. We're going to talk about that scene break. When the angel shows up and starts to speak to a young woman named Mary. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Isn't Luke so good at giving you tons of information in one long sentence? Right? This is very nice. Also in the Greek, no spaces. So there's a, it was extra. But he just did it all, right? So in the sixth month, the angel gave. So let's talk about the when. Sixth month, according to what? According to Elizabeth's pregnancy. And it's just really lovely that we have a dating of an event according to another woman's pregnancy. It's in Elizabeth's sixth month that this event occurs. And Luke wants you to know when it was in accordance to when Elizabeth was pregnant. And you'll remember as we read through Luke last week, when she got pregnant, she hid it. She was quiet about it for at least five months. And we could all imagine and understand the reasons why Elizabeth might have been um, concerned and hesitant to trust the miracle that was growing within her. So during Elizabeth's six months, this Gabriel shows up to talk to Mary. And he dates his whole thing by, Mary, by Elizabeth's pregnancy. And he shows up where? In a place called Nazareth. Netzeret, a place that means Messiah town or branch town. Netzer means branch in Hebrew. And so it seems that after the exile and return of the Israelites, they came back from Babylon and they said, you know what, when we come back, we're going to start a new town. It didn't exist in the period of prior to the time of Jesus, like the Hebrew Bible time. But after they return from exile, they start this new town in Nazareth, in, in the upper Galilee, and it's called Nazareth, shoot town, Messiah town, as though they are very confident that the Messiah will come from them based on a prophecy that we have in Isaiah. A shoot will come, a netzer from the stump of Jesse, and from his roots a branch will bear fruit. So that's where they are. It's a small village of maybe a few hundred people. It's not in Judea. It's up in Galilee, and it's not under direct Roman occupation because Herod is far away, but it is under Herodian influence as well and Roman influence. Now, who? With the mention of Joseph in the line of David, Luke again reminds us of God's faithful covenant keeping, that God is actually doing this through people that he's planned to do it through and prophesied that he would do it through. And this comes from 2 Samuel 7:12. When the time comes for you, David, to die and you lie down with your ancestors, I will raise up for your descendant one of your very own children to succeed you and I will establish his kingdom. 
He will build a temple for my name and I will establish his kingdom. He will build a temple for my name and I will establish his royal throne forever. So there was a prophecy that the Messiah would be born of the house of David, of which Joseph is of that line. And they want to tell you all of that. Luke wants to make sure you've got all those details and you're connecting it all back to all of those important stories and the context of where and who and when is deeply important. So in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Where does she get such a good name? Why would her parents have named her Mary? Common, easy to find on those little license plate personalized name things at all the gift kiosks, right? Who else is named Mary in our Bible? The name is Miriam, actually. This is where our Greek to the Latin to the English does not help us at all. Go ahead and pick up another translation. Miriam. And she's named after the sister of Moses, who knew how to protect and negotiate. Miriam was the one who said, as she waited strategically to see if her brother would be found in the place where they had planned that he would be found by Pharaoh's daughter, Moses, when all of the Hebrew baby boys were sentenced to death, she was the one that went up to Pharaoh's daughter and said, hey, I know a lady that would love to take care of that baby, and you could pay her. And of course, it's Moses' mother. Miriam is the one who knows how to do that. She's also the one who led the Israelites in song as they exited out of Egypt through the parting of the Red Sea. She's the one who remembered to pack her tambourine. Everybody else, they were just considered, you know, concerned about the essentials, food, water, basic needs. She was like, and we're going to need a tambourine because a miracle will happen, and we need to be prepared to remember that miracle. It's back here, right, in Exodus 15, 20 through 21. Then the prophet Miriam, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines. They remembered theirs too, and with dancing. And Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. And as that song continues on, it will claim that God is king forever and ever, that the Lord is reigning. And we have one of our first early indications in our biblical text to talk about how does God function as king. Pharaoh, that is not the king, but God is the king. And the people who've been serving, worshiping, serving Pharaoh won't have to do that anymore. God has set them free so that they can go and now serve and worship him. Miriam was the prophet who remembered to bring a tambourine and who sang that song. And that's why Mary is named Miriam. Her name actually means both rebellious and bitter. The root for Miriam has the root of both rebellion in it and bitterness. And you can hear that in Miriam, Moses' sister's story, can't you hear? 400 years of bitter slavery. But now a rebellion is taking place. But not the kind that you'd expect. And here we are now, some long distance away from that event, and another Miriam, whose name can mean both bitter and rebellious, who knows the bitterness of the oppression of the Roman Empire, who knows the bitterness of poverty and difficulty, but also has built in within her, by the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit, a bit of rebellion. And isn't she going to need that to give her holy yes to what God's going to ask her next? Miriam... In the Hebrew Bible, she's the first woman in the Bible called a prophet in the book of Exodus. Only Abraham and Aaron were afforded the title before her. So Mary, Jesus' mother, Miriam, she has a good name. 
So the virgin's name was Mary, Miriam. And Gabriel came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. Now, we know that she's found favor with God, grace with God, but, but Luke doesn't tell us what caused Miriam, Mary, to be able to have this favor, which I think is lovely. He doesn't say, by the way, she was found with favor because she was really good and she was upright and righteous because she had um, saved a dog from an oncoming car because she took care of all of the children in the village regardless of whether or not she got paid well for it. He just says that she has found favor with God. And Luke doesn't record the reason why. He says, hey, good on you. You have favor. She is very perplexed by this. She was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. Seeing the angel Mary's perplexed, the word in Greek is she's a bit terrified, afraid, distressed, shaken up. She's been agitated. Something is being stirred within her. And fair enough, because Gabriel's got a reputation, right? We just read about it just back there with Zachariah, where as soon as Zachariah just asked one little question, like, how can I be sure this is going to happen? He's like, you know what? You shut up for nine months. Don't talk about it anymore, right? That's like, fair enough. Maybe she, I don't think she'd heard the story yet, but maybe Gabriel had. Uh, he's also known as explainer of Daniel's visions in the book of Daniel. Gabriel has a bit of, rec- I think, you know, even if she doesn't know it's Gabriel, and even if she doesn't know that Gabriel just had a bad day, maybe having an angelic being show up right in the midst of your home life and saying, hey, greetings, you who are highly favored, would be a bit terrifying. Anybody? Yeah? Yeah? Have you ever had just a sort of a taste and a glimpse of the presence of God in your life and is both wonderful and a bit of a freak out, isn't it? Two things at once. Mary's much perplexed by his words, ponders what type of greeting this might be, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus, Yeshua, the Lord saves. He will be great, and we be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. You can hear all those beautiful prophecies coming to life. Now, something momentous and life-changing is about to happen to an unmarried young Jewish woman on the outskirts of the Roman Empire. I'd be, I'd be afraid. I'd be a bit freaked out. Yeah? And it's really incredible because as we tell the story again and again, year after year, and as we think about the story and how miraculous it is and mysterious it is and how it doesn't somehow even makes sense in our world today, but, but we still cling to it. Mary, too, needs this story. She's living in a time where she needs this type of rescue, too. A friend of ours, Reverend David Pelegi, he's the reverend of Christ Church in Jerusalem. You should go someday, and it's a beautiful church in the old city. And he wrote this week that Christmas isn't a Jewish holiday today, but it is a Jewish story. In particular, it's a second temple period story with all the Jewish elements of the time, righteous people and angels, a miraculous birth in the tradition of the Hebrew Bible and Midrash, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, Leah, Rachel, Yochaved, Moses, Hannah, Samuel, Samson, shepherds, prophecies, and a star that was also used to promote the Bar Kokhba revolt as in Messiah 132 CE. Gentiles promised to be blessed by the descendants of Abraham, now paying homage to the newborn king of the Jews. 
Virtually every character in this story is a faithful Torah-observant Jew, and the events took place when Israel was suffering under the brutal rule of Rome, when many Jews were being killed, some crucified, and the people were longing for redemption. And he goes on to explain that a lot of us don't realize that this is a Jewish story because it's merged with European traditions and winter traditions and some that now we have trees and evergreen wreaths and um, Santa and um, presents and elves on shelves that are mischievous and all the other things that make us maybe a bit distracted by the bitterness and rebellion that is within this story. But it is an ancient story that still resonates today for all of us looking for redemption. Now Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? So she's going to ask a question of Gabriel too, and this is really nice. Apparently, angelic visitors are willing to account for differences. Mary, young child, girl, young girl in Nazareth, is able to go, point of order, um, I'd like some further details. Whereas Zechariah, old man priest, who's been serving God his whole life, he asks a question, and the angel's like, nope, you, you can't talk anymore. But Mary asks a question. He's like, absolutely, let me give you some more details. And he fills it in, right? Um, completely, it's like, this will clear up at all. The angel will say, it said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. So... Mary's questions have been answered, right? She's all the good. She's got it all. Um, and now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her who is said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. It's also interesting, isn't it, that Mary doesn't ask for a sign, but she gets one. And the sign that she gets is that something impossible has happened for somebody that she cares about. That's the sign. So then Mary said, here I am, I, the servant of the Lord, let it be with me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. Mary's response is incredible, isn't it? She simply says, here am I. Here I am. I'm here and okay, right? In the Greek Idio, often translated as behold, it's the echoed response of all of her Hebrew ancestors, which when they are asked, they simply respond, he me. Here I am, Lord. He me. I am here. I am here. And as we read in our Bible over and over and over again, we see people who simply say, here I am. Here I am. I'm here. Now in those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. I think I would go in haste too, by the way. Like, I didn't get a lot of details in that response. Uh, maybe I'll find out something more when I meet the person for whom this miracle has already occurred, who always ca already carries a miracle within her body. Maybe there'll be something that I can know about my own miracle when I meet somebody else who's also hoping for one too. So she with haste, goes down to Judea. Judea, this beautiful hill country that holds the temple in Jerusalem. And she goes down, and when she gets there in Judea, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, 
Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this thing happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. Man, what a greeting. I'm usually just like, hi, welcome, come on in, take a seat. She's got it right there, right? She's filled with the Holy Spirit. And she's prophesying. She's filled with the Holy Spirit. She feels a blessing in her body as John, Yohanan, God is gracious, leaps in her womb. She prophesies and announces with joy Mary's pregnancy. She's probably the first person to confirm for Mary what she knows only because of the angel and only because of what is happening inside of her. Here comes Elisheva. God has promised. God has kept God's oath. And Elisheva sees Miriam and says, I know what is happening in you. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Can you imagine how life-saving it must have been for Mary to hear words of blessing and not words of condemnation or suspicion or slander. Instead, she has a woman show up and say, blessings on you. I'm the lucky one because you came to see me. Why am I so favored that I could be graced with your presence where everybody else might have been putting some distance between them and Mary? If anybody knew yet, she came with haste. Elizabeth is the first to utter those words of blessing in Luke while her husband, the mute priest, still can't bless. That guy's still quiet. Elizabeth prophesies. She is unrestrained to bless and to prophesy and to exalt. And so therefore, Mary bursts into song as well. Both are prophets filled with joy, blessing, hope, justice, peace, and song. Blessing, pouring out and calling out more blessing. Prophesying and filling up with the Holy Spirit. Calling out more prophesying and filling up with the Holy Spirit. And so Mary's response is, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowly state of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Indeed, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his, with his arm. He has scattered those the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has come to the aid of his child Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned home. Mary's song is incredible. Pastor Omer, a couple years ago, preached on Mary's Magnificat. You should go back and grab hold of that message at some point. But her song that she sings is remarkable. She sings about salvation in the past and the present and salvation she sees in the future to come. She's singing a song of freedom when she herself is not free but she believes it will come. 
Salvation means freedom or release from current circumstances, slavery, poverty, illness, hunger, and thirst. Mary sings that song. She can feel the salvation in her body, in her soul, in her spirit, and in her womb. And as Mary sings the song, she joins the long line of women who responded to God's call with a holy yes. Here I am. He named me. Let it be according to your word. Poets, prophets, protectors, leading with hopeful song, trusting promises, hearts willing to suffer rather than to take up sword. At no point does Mary say, fantastic, this guy's going to get born. Well, finally, we'll wait. This is the long plan. 30 plus years, let this guy get an army together, then we'll take out Rome. Instead, she starts to see salvation and justice and freedom and hope simply in the birth of this baby. Mary's genealogy, by the way, we don't know a lot about it. It's silent in this story, but she does get to tell her own story. She has agency in the presence of the divine messenger and in the shadow of the empire She gets to say yes. She's responsible for her own body, for her own future, for her future identity, and she says yes to it all. Here I am. He named me. I am here, Lord. Mary and Elizabeth both believe the impossible. Mary sings as if these reversals of fortune have already happened, and she's singing the same song that Hannah sang a thousand years earlier. As you go through Mary's song, you can hear and grab hold of echoes of the Exodus, echoes from the time of the kings, echoes from the prophets. Mary knows her text. She has it memorized, and she sees it being retold and woven again, and God doing a new creation again in the person of Jesus. In 1 Samuel 2.8, Hannah says, God raises the poor from the dust, lifts up the needy from the garbage pile. God sits them with officials and gives them the seat of honor. Hannah, as she awaited the miraculous birth of her long-desired son, Samuel, Hannah, her name, Chen, is God's grace, Samuel, God has heard. Mary's like, I know that story. That story now is happening again in part now for me. Mary's gospel is not a gospel of gain or wealth, but it is a gospel of trust, isn't it? A a simple holy yes to God. Mary's song is one of remembrance of God's promises of mercy and faithfulness to Israel and to Abraham and his descendants. And Jesus is how God is going to continue this covenantal song. Jesus is, as John will say, the word made flesh dwelling amongst us. Which is amazing, isn't it? That God would choose to come and dwell with us. Fully human, fully divine, come and dwell and be born of a woman. And that miracle that we live with day to day, that we are the inheritors of that miracle day to day, that reverberates through our lives. It's on bumper stickers and it's in stadiums and it's the thing that most people will say, like, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that everyone who believes in him may not perish but will have eternal life. John 3, 16, we love this verse. We say it all the time and we should. It's beautiful and it's incredible. God so loved the world, God so loved us that God sent Jesus in this way. Archbishop Joseph Raya, in his book Abundance of Love, which contemplates the mysteries of the incarnation, which is God in flesh, this mystery, this 
beautiful theological concept we talk about. He says, son of God, God of God, light of light, took on our physical reality and he became a baby, growing and developing as does every human being. The creator became matter. The infinite was contained in a womb. And this is madness to us, isn't it? But God so loved the world that this is what God chose to do, to not be distant or far off, but to come and dwell with us. And that is God's holy yes. But that holy yes of the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us happened also because of a woman who said yes. Here I am. It's not just that for God so loved the world, but for Mary so loved God. Miriam so loved God that when God showed up through the presence of an angel and said, this is for you, you are highly favored, and this miracle and difficulty will happen to you, and it will bring you joy and pain, and it is for the salvation of the world. Mary must say yes for it to happen. For God so loved the world and for Mary so loved God. And she said, yes, here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Mary so loves God. So loves God. Hamilton Wright maybe said, blessed is the season which engages the whole world in a conspiracy of love. This whole story is simply about love, about God's love for us and our love back in response to God. And the miracle of it all is quite amazing, and it is awe-inspiring, and it is indeed a mystery. The incarnation is a holy mystery. It is God's great surprise. It surprised everybody 2,000 years ago, and it's still surprising people today. We cannot hope to fathom it, we can simply bow down in adoration of the Christ child in the manger who is God become human. May we love God so much we find ourselves ready with a holy yes. May we be filled with the Holy Spirit ready to believe that the impossible is possible with God. And may we bow in adoration and worship Christ, the newborn King, Prince of Peace, God with us. Amen. We now turn to the time in our service where we're going to invite you all to the table, to Christ's table here that is in our midst, set before us. For in the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took the bread, blessed and broke it, giving it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Friends, all are welcome at this table.